0: Well, welcome everybody. I think this is week five of our virtual church. Uh, It's been great seeing all your videos that you're sending in. Thanks for doing that. We love seeing everything the kids are doing at home, learning their memory verses. And uh, we've showed you some of those over the last couple of weeks. So can I just say Happy Easter? Uh, This will be an Easter that none of us will ever forget, I think. Uh, First Easter for all of us doing church like this. You know, for the past several years on Good Friday, we've looked at the seven last words of Christ. They're actually the last sayings of Christ as he hung on the cross. But have you ever asked yourself the question, what are the first words that Jesus spoke after the resurrection? What are the first sayings that he said after he was raised from the dead? The first words of Jesus were spoken to Mary Magdalene. It's so fitting that Jesus would first appear to Mary Magdalene, and his first words would be to her. It says there in John's Gospel, chapter 20, That's is where we're going to be focusing most of, most of our attention today. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So Mary was the first one to the tomb. She got up early and went there. This is so typical of what we know of Mary. Just a couple of things that we know about Mary from the Gospels. You know, Mary really loved Jesus. Probably for a very good reason, because it says in Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, that she had been delivered from seven demons. Now, whatever that means, either she had a myriad of sicknesses or she had some real issues. Uh, Maybe she was really messed up. We don't know. But it says that she was delivered from seven demons. So whatever the real issue was, Jesus changed Mary's life. And because of that, she really loved Jesus. So it's it's no shock to us that we see her being the first one to the tomb and the first one that Jesus would speak to. I just love how the Bible says there in Luke's Gospel, just so casually it mentions she's been delivered from seven demons. But she was also a great financial supporter of Jesus. It says in Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, that it mentions all these women. It says that they were giving to Jesus' ministry out of their own means. And we know that she was there through the entire crucifixion. Now think of this with me. Mary Magdalene, because of what Jesus had done in her life, she saw his body carrying his own cross. She saw the nails pounded in his feet. She saw the blood dripping from the crown of thorns. She saw him stripped and his clothes sold off. She was there through all of the pain, all of the suffering, all of the humiliation that Jesus went through. Mary loved Jesus. She was there when his body was wrapped and placed in the tomb. You remember the story of Joseph of Arimathea who asked for Jesus' body so that it could be buried. And Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting opposite the tomb. So you see this chronicle of Mary. When she meets Jesus, she is changed. She's following Him throughout all His ministry. He delivers her from all these things. She's a financial supporter of His. She's with Him through the entire crucifixion period, the trials and all of that. And now she is the first one to the tomb. How fitting it is that Jesus would speak to her first. So let's read a little more of the text. John's Gospel again, chapter 20. Early in the morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and said, they've taken my Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but didn't go in. But then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb, and he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, also went inside, and he saw and believed. Now they still didn't understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. Now isn't it interesting that Peter and John didn't see the angels, one at the foot and one at the head. John runs in and sees the linen lying there and he believes. Why do you think that John didn't see the angels but Mary did. Apparently, John didn't need the angels, but Mary needed that affirmation. I happen to believe when I read that, that God just knows what we need. So let's keep reading in the text. At this, so the angels speak to her. She responds, at this, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will go get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them. I'm returning to my father and your father, to your God and my God. And Mary Magdalene went with the disciples, went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. So here's the account. Mary gets to the tomb first. She's the first one there. And while she is there, the Lord speaks to her. So there are four words or four sayings that Jesus says to Mary that that changed her life on that Easter. I pray that for you and me that these four words would change our life this Easter. As much as Mary needed it on that Easter, we need it celebrating this Easter. So the first thing he said to her was this. He said, woman, why are you crying? Now two times in the text the question is asked. Once by the angels, but this time by Jesus. He asked the question, woman, why are you crying? I love the questions that God asks that he already knows the answer to. Here's a woman at a gravesite. It would be pretty obvious why she would be crying. But she doesn't recognize Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is there and he speaks to her, but she doesn't recognize him. That, that kind of happened in another story with the resurrection account. The two guys on the road to Emmaus. They didn't recognize that it was Jesus walking with them. But he asked this question, why are you crying? Jesus knows the answer to the question. Just like when he asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? Jesus knew Peter's heart. He knew that Peter loved him when he met the two blind guys on the side of the road, and he said, what do you want me to do for you? Obviously, he knew that they wanted to be healed, that they wanted to see. So Jesus asked this question that he already knew the answer to. Jesus knew why Mary was crying, and that's why he came to earth to die in our place, in her place. The prophet Isaiah foretelling about Jesus said this about the Messiah. He said that he was the one that would carry our sorrows, He's the one that came to bind up the brokenhearted. He is the one who would comfort all that mourn. He is the one that would give the oil of gladness instead of sorrow or mourning. He's the one that would give a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. So Jesus knows the answer to the question, but he asks it. Notice Mary's response. Her response is what brought her the sorrow. They've taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. Her response tells why she was so sorrowful. First is that she had suffered loss. She said, they've taken my Lord away. I don't know if you've noticed this, but over the last, I would say over the last several days, there seems to have been an increasing amount of sorrow or sadness, I went to my local grocery store in my town this, this past week. It was on Tuesday this past week. And I hadn't been in a while, so I, I didn't know about all the changes. There's, you know, there's plexiglass at everything. There's arrows directing people to only go one way up and down the aisles. There is now a line out the door. They're a limiting amount of people. So when I walked into the store, I immediately felt this sense of just sadness in the place. And I just said, Lord, what is this? As I looked around, everyone is wearing masks. It is dead silent in there. There's people all over the place, but you could hear a pin drop. Everyone's wearing masks. They're staying far away from each other. And as people are passing each other, they're not even acknowledging or saying anything. It was the strangest experience I have ever felt going shopping. This just increased sense of sadness. As I walked around the store, I just began to pray. I prayed for that store, I prayed for my town and our country, so when I was checking out I said to the cashier, I said, it seems terribly somber in here, and she said, it's been like that for a couple of days, and she said, and the people are getting really nasty, so we are facing somewhat of what Mary Magdalene was facing on her Easter morning, she had suffered loss, we have suffered loss. People have lost things. They've lost jobs. They've lost a sense of security. They've, there's been a sense of loss. And the second thing she said, she said this. She said, and I don't know where they have laid him. The second thing she said is, is really, the, it's the I don't knows in our life that bring us the most worry or the most sorrow or the most anxiety. It's the I don't knows in life. It's the fear of the unknown. I don't know how long this pandemic will last. I don't know if I will get it or one of my loved ones will get it. I don't know if my loved one who has it will pull through. I have a cousin who has it right now that is unresponsive. I don't know. It's the unknowns in life that cause this kind of anxiety. In the natural, Mary had plenty of reason to be weeping. She had suffered loss, and she didn't know what the future would hold. But the resurrected Jesus comes, but she doesn't recognize his presence. I'm going to read the text again. She turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. All through our lives and throughout the lives of people in Scripture, it's often hard for us to recognize that Jesus is right there with us because it doesn't look like Jesus is with us. And it doesn't feel like Jesus is with us. I don't know what made me think of it. I was thinking of the, the Footprints poem. And that's the way the writer felt. was like, Lord, when I look back, I see... You know, in these hard times of my life I only see one set of footprints. You know, it's in other words, where were you when I needed you the most? And you know that you know the poem and it says, "It was then that I was carrying you." But it's during these it's during times like this that we don't we don't recognize, we don't feel, we don't sense that Jesus is with us. So here's my summary of the first word, "Woman, why are you weeping?" My summary is this. When Jesus says, why are you weeping? It says to me that even in our pain and our loneliness and our suffering, he is right there with us even when we don't recognize that he is. The second word is this. It's just one word. He calls out and he just calls her name. He says, Mary. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Teacher. She didn't recognize his presence, but she did recognize his voice. Listen, when you're in a relationship with somebody, you know their voice. If they call out your name, you you know their voice because you are in relationship with them. That's actually what Jesus said. He said, my sheep know my voice. So because Mary was in relationship with Jesus, even though she didn't recognize his presence in this dark time, she did recognize His voice. You know what this says to me? Jesus knows and cares about every one of us as individuals. Because he went to Mary. See, Jesus didn't die just for the whole world. He died for me. He died for David Wilson. He died for Mary Magdalene. I love this song by the McCrays. It says this. Verse 1, it says, He counts the stars one and all. He knows how much sand is on the shores. He sees every sparrow that falls. He made the mountains and the seas. He's in control of everything, of creatures great and small. In other words, verse 1 just paints the picture. God is all-knowing, all-powerful. You know, He runs the universe. But then the chorus goes like this. It says, And He, that all-powerful knowing God, And He knows my name. He knows every step that I take, every move that I make, every tear that I cry. He knows my name. When I'm overwhelmed by the pain and I can't see the light of day, I know I'll be just fine because he knows my name. How awesome it must have been on that Easter morning when Mary heard Jesus call out her name, Mary. Verse 2 of this song, it says, I don't know what tomorrow may bring. Listen, Mary could have written this song. In the sorrow and all of that, I know I'm going to be okay because He knows my name. Verse 2, I don't know what tomorrow may bring. That's what Mary said. I don't know. I don't know what tomorrow may bring. I can't tell you what's in store. I don't know a lot of things. I don't have all the answers to the questions of life, but I know in whom I've believed. And then again the chorus. And He knows my name. Every step that I take, every move that I make, every tear that I cry, He knows my name. When I'm overwhelmed by the pain and I can't see the light of day, I know I'll be just fine because He knows my name. He knew who I was when He carried the cross. He knew I would fail Him, but He took the loss. He knows my name. Can I just say this? If you have felt... A sense of sadness lately like Mary Magdalene? Hear Jesus call out your name. He knows your name. He knows everything about you. And he died for you. I read this story. It's from 2006. Dr. Samuel Weinstein performed one of the most unusual surgeries of his storied career. The pediatric cardiothoracic chief surgeon of a medical center in the Bronx had traveled to El Salvador for life saving procedures on needy children. Though the Ministry of Heart, through the heart, Ministry of Heart Care International, Dr. Weinstein was set up to operate on the heart of an eight year old boy, Francisco Fernandez. Although the surgery was going well, the young boy's bleeding had increased and they didn't have an adequate supply of medicine to slow the blood loss. He also had a very rare blood type, B-negative, which only 2% of people have. But uniquely, Dr. Weinstein had the same blood type. So he stepped away from the operating table, and he gave a pint of his own blood while his colleagues continued the surgery. Twenty minutes later... He rehydrated, ate a Pop-Tart, and then completed the successful operation with his own blood saving the boy's life on a scale infinitely larger. Christ gave his blood to save the life of every one of us, you and me. He knows your name. He died for you. So the summary for me for that second word is this. When Jesus calls out her name, it says to me, he knows everything I'm going through. He knows my sorrow. He knows my sin. He knows my imperfections. Yet he chose to shed his own blood for every one of us, you and me. Third word of Jesus after the resurrection, Jesus says an unusual thing. He said, don't hold on to me. Jesus said, don't hold on to me for I have not yet returned to the Father. So you get the impression then that when Jesus says Mary and she understands that it's him, you get the impression there that Mary is just hanging on to Jesus. And Jesus says, don't hang on to me for I have not yet returned to the Father. It it reminded me really of of. The Mount of Transfiguration. You remember the story that Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him up on the mountain, and Jesus was transfigured, and he became, you know, dazzling white. And then Moses and Elijah show up. And the disciples say to Jesus, this is great. Let's build booths, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. In other words, this is awesome. I would just hang on to this forever. That's kind of the impression I get from Mary in this text. That she, Jesus calls her name and she's just hanging on to Jesus. Jesus said, don't hang on to me. It's as if Jesus is saying, I have so much more in store. Jesus had to go to heaven so that the Holy Spirit would come and the church would be born. I read a commentary in my Bible that said, Mary didn't want to lose Jesus again. She had not understood the resurrection. Perhaps she thought that this was his promised second coming. But Jesus didn't want to be detained at the tomb. If he didn't ascend to heaven, the Holy Spirit would not come, and both he and Mary had important work to do. Jesus is saying, don't hang on to me. There is so much more in store. So when Jesus is saying, look at, don't hang on to me, he's saying, This is going to be bigger than you can even imagine. Read this story about General Wainwright, General Jonathan Wainwright. He was the only U.S. general captured in World War II. MacArthur had given the orders, no surrender, fight to the end. But the intense fighting. In the Philippines pushed him to surrender. So for months in a Mongolia POW camp, he was immersed in self-condemnation for having surrendered to the enemy. His body deteriorated under the harsh conditions and he was forced to hobble around on a cane. When MacArthur ultimately prevailed, the Japanese were forced to surrender. Wainwright was now free But he continued to live as a prisoner because the news had not reached Mongolia. An Allied plane landed near the POW camp, and an American officer walked to the fence. He saluted Wainwright, and he said, General, Japan has surrendered. With this new information, Wainwright stood tall, limped to the commandant's office, and declared... My commander-in-chief has has defeated your commander-in-chief. I'm in control now. I order you to surrender. Without a shot being fired, the Japanese commandant laid down his weapon and surrendered to the emaciated, weak man he had once controlled. The power of that transaction was not dependent on Wainwright's strength, but on the truth of what had occurred. So when Jesus arose from the grave, his actions declared victory and liberation for anyone who will accept the truth of what he has done. And I just say this, Wainwright could probably never have imagined that in his weakened state that he would be the conqueror. But that's what the Bible says about us. When when we have Jesus, the Bible says that we are more than conquerors, even in the midst of hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. So when Jesus says, don't hold on to me, it's almost like, it's almost like an infomercial on TV. Don't hold on to me. It's like, but wait, there's more. There's more to come. I love what it says in Corinthians. It says, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered into the mind of man the things that God has prepared for those that love Him. Now we know that it's talking about heaven there, but I I happen to believe that He's talking about life here on earth. So much more than we could have ever imagined. I don't think that Mary Magdalene, in her wildest dreams or imaginations, could have, could have understood what Jesus was up to. So he says, don't hold on to me. There is so much more to come. The last word is this. Jesus says to her, he says, now go and tell my disciples. Go and tell somebody. Jesus, in verse 17, chapter 20, John's Gospel, Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. In other words, don't focus on everything that's happened. Go and tell everyone that he is risen. There is reason for hope. Jesus commissions her to spread the good news of the gospel that he is alive. He has commissioned you and me to do the same. Now, did you notice in the text the change in Mary on this resurrection day, hearing these four words from Jesus? It changed everything. She went from weeping to rejoicing. She went from weeping to witnessing. She went from I don't know to I do know that he has been risen from the dead. The cross and the resurrection and the words of Jesus to her on that resurrection Sunday made all of the difference. I pray for you and me on this resurrection day that these words of Jesus would have that same effect on us, that we would be changed. Probably most of you know the story. Alexander Solzhenitsyn the Russian author who had spent many years in a gulag in Siberia. Along with other prisoners, he worked in the fields day after day, in rain and sun, during summer and winter. His, his life appeared to be nothing more than backbreaking labor and slow starvation. The intense suffering reduced him to a state of despair. On one particular day, the hopelessness of his situation became too much for him. He saw no reason to continue in his struggle, no reason to keep on living. He made it, his life made no difference, so he just gave up. Leaving his shovel on the ground, he slowly walked to a crude bench and he sat down. He knew that at any moment a guard would come and would order him to stand up. And when he refused to stand up, he would probably be beaten to death with his own shovel. He had seen it happen many times. As he waited, head down, he felt a presence. And slowly he looked up and saw a skinny old prisoner squat down beside him. The man said nothing. Instead, he used a stick to trace in the dirt the sign of the cross. The man then got up and returned to his work. As Solzhenitsyn stared at the cross, drawn in the dirt, his entire perspective changed. He knew he was only one man against the all-powerful Soviet Empire. Yet he knew that there was something greater than the evil that he saw in the prison camp, something greater than the Soviet Union. He knew That hope for all people was represented by that simple cross. Through the power of the cross, anything was possible. Solzhenitsyn slowly rose to his feet. He picked up his shovel and he went back to work. Outwardly, nothing had changed. Inside, he had received hope. Here's my prayer for us this Easter. In the midst of our sadness and our isolation and our loneliness and our sense of loss and everything that Mary was experiencing, I pray that the words of Jesus that we've read today and the power of the cross, the power of the risen Christ, would change everything for us on the inside. Outwardly, things might not change, at least not quickly, but inwardly, everything can change. Because of the cross, we have hope. Here's my wrap-up of these four, four words. When Jesus says, woman, why are you weeping? You know what that says to me? It says to me that even when I don't recognize Jesus in my situation, Jesus is right there whether I see him or not. I know that he is with me. The second word when he just calls out her name, you know what it says to me? That, me, that Jesus knows where I live. He knows what I'm facing. He knows how much food I have in the cupboard. He knows how much money I have in the bank. He knows it all and he cares about me as a person, not just the whole world. The third world, don't hold on to me. He was really saying, there's so much more to come. When he said, go and tell somebody, he was really giving her a renewed purpose in life. You have now a purpose, a reason for living, and a reason for hope. I heard Vice President Pence say this the other day, and I wrote it down. He said, this will be a week of heartache, but it will also be a week of hope. I pray wherever you are on this Easter morning, I pray that if there's heartache and if it lasts a long time, I pray that in the midst of it, you will still find hope. God bless everybody.